I'm going to start talking about our modern culture's infatuation with love. Uh, A statistician in America did a study uh, of each year's top 40 most popular songs from 1960 to 2010, analysing the content of the music. Uh, It's no surprise that love and relationships charted as number one themes in those songs. But I want you to guess what percentage – I haven't got a lolly, sorry – uh, not as good as Tim, but I want you to guess what what's uh, what what percentage of popular songs have love and relationship as their key theme? Can you give it to us as a multiple, like a times table? No, <laughs> I just want you to guess. Nice and simple. Eighty-seven, twenty percent too high. Sixty-seven point three percent over that period. Sixty-seven point three. Yeah, there you go. You've got a lolly after all. Um, 60s and 80s hit above 70%. No surprises there in the decade of free love and the decade of all good music, the 80s. Um, when I told one of my daughters uh, this fact, and I quote, this is what she said, of course, Dad, another 30% are about breakups and the rest of the 3% are about randoms like origami and bus stops. That's what she said. Now, these popular songs, our popular songs are mirrors into our culture, into our modern heart and mind. So what do these songs tell us about what our world thinks about love? Well, Lou Graham uh, from Foreigner tells us that he doesn't know what love is, a rarely accurate insight into his own person, but at least he knows who can show him. John Paul Young would tell us that love is in the air everywhere he looks around. Wet, wet, wet will let us know that love is all around as well. There's that theme again. He feels it in his fingers. He feels it in his toes because his mind is made up by the way that he feels. Pat Benatar's take on love is that love is a battlefield, a place where two people struggle with their desires, pushing each other away, drawing each other close again, depending on how they feel. Anna and Hans would have us believe, Hans, sorry, would have us believe that love is an open door. That's a profound thought, isn't it? But to be honest, where that door led was a very scary place. So for some, like Amy Winehouse, love is a losing game, a losing hand, a fate resigned over futile odds laughed at by the gods. In song after song after song, love is defined by how you make me feel or how you made me feel. And this overarching message is what we hear again and again and again, which is why that, that love is a feeling. It's how you make me feel, which is why love can die, because feelings end. And so while many of these songs are about romantic love, we've taken this definition of love about how you make me feel and we've applied it to everything else. So I love chocolate. Why do I love chocolate? Because it makes me feel good. Our love for friends is grounded in how they make me feel. For family, I think it's a bit different. Love for children, love for parents, love for siblings maybe not um where we can choose to love them even if we don't like them but but even here on the hallowed ground of family we can say that we don't love them anymore because of the way that they made me feel that's where we've gone to as a society but shakespeare said this about love love is not love which alters when it alteration finds or bends with the remover to remove oh no it's an ever fixed mark that looks on tempests and is never shaken. Love alters not with his brief hours and weeks, but it bears out even to the edge of doom. It's a different take on love, isn't it? That one. 
Love does not alter when changes come, but bears out even to the edge of doom. Here I feel we're getting closer to the mark. Last week, Ed helped us to grapple with the idea of Trinity, that, that God is three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, in eternal relationship, one with another, a relationship that has love at the very centre. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at each person of the Trinity and what we learn about God from them. And so today, we're looking at the fatherhood of God, God the Father. And the big thing we see when we consider God the Father is that God is love. At the heart of the fatherhood of God is a God who is love, who's always loved, who will always love. So let's pray that as we consider the God who loves, our Father will be struck by the wonder of the love of the Father and be changed to live that way too. Let's, why don't you join me as we pray? Father God, we thank you so much that you have sent your Son. We thank you that you love us so much. Father, as we consider your love for us, we pray that you would help us be people who are changed by that love, to love like you do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, quite often our idea of fatherhood actually begins with our own personal experience of fatherhood, our own experience of our earthly fathers. And so we think about what it means that God is Father from our experience of fallen earthly fatherhood. But that's to think about fatherhood the wrong way around. Fatherhood is an eternal idea that is grounded in the very person of God, in the Trinity itself. God the Father is not the Father because he loves us, because he loves you and me, because he adopted us as his children. No, the Father is the Father because he's the Father of God the Son. He's eternally Father. He has always been Father and always will be Father. Tim made the point when we were looking through the Lord's Prayer that in the Old Testament, the idea that God is Father just comes up very rarely, really, not much at all. In passages like this one, Isaiah 64, 8, Yet, Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We all are the work of your hands. God is the father of humanity who created us all. You see that idea in the Old Testament. God is the father of Israel who saved them and brought them to himself. You see that idea as well. Or God is the father of David because he chose him to be his instrument of a great salvation. But when you come to the New Testament, this idea that God is father just explodes across the pages again and again and again. Why? What changed? Well, what changed was we met God the Son. That's what changed. That's why it exploded across the pages of the New Testament. And so it's in the Father's relationship with the Son, the eternal Son, that we see the core of what it means that God is Father. So let's reflect on that. What do we learn about God the Father through his eternal relationship with his Son? If you've got your Bibles open to 1 John 4, I want you to turn to John 17. John 17. Um, if you've got one of the Bibles from the cupboards, uh, from the bookshelves at the back, it's on page 960. The verses will come up on the screen, but I want you to turn it up so you can see the context and see, see, um, see what I'm talking about. In, in this passage, Jesus is praying to his eternal heavenly Father, and as he does, he gives us a beautiful insight into the relationship between the Father and the Son, a relationship of eternal love and divine glory. Have a look at 17 verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you gave him authority over all people, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. 
This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Just in those five verses, can you see the wonder of the relationship between the Father and the Son? The Son longs that the Father is glorified. The Father longs that the Son be glorified and honoured and worshipped and adored. God at his very core is characterised by this other person-centred, glory-giving love that we see in these verses. But look at verse 5. The Son longs to be in the presence of the Father, to once again be glorified with the glory he had before creation, a glory they share for all eternity. What did that glory sharing look like? Well, drop down, have a look at 17, verse 24, as we come near the end of this prayer. Father, he says, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Once again, we see the wonderful, the powerful love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father. This glory sharing, glory giving and receiving is an eye into the very nature of love itself, grounded in the person of God, his relationship in Trinity. Love is eternal. It really is eternal. And, the, it's, and it's core to what it means that God is Father. Let me ask you this. Why did God make the universe? Why did he create it in the first place? Was it because he got bored playing Monopoly as three? No, it wasn't that. And he just, just wanted to jazz things up a bit? No, it wasn't that. Was it because he was lonely? No, it wasn't that. Was it just a, a mistake, a flying fancy, you know, moment of weakness, a, a, a mess that he made that he had to fix up later on? No, it wasn't that either. God was never lonely. He was never bored. God, for eternity, Father, Son and Spirit have been in wonderful, other person-centred, glory-giving, loving relationship, one with the other. No, ultimately, the answer to the question, why did God create the universe, is love. It's actually love. The Father's love for the Son is why God created the universe. It was their plan to do it all along. And you get a bit of an insight into this uh, in the chapter you have open in front of you, John 17. We finish at verse 24, let's look at verse 25. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, however I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will continue to make it known, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. That's that last verse. The whole purpose of God's grand plan of salvation is that just as the Father loves the Son, so if we are saved in Jesus, we would be recipients of that same love. The love that the Father has for the Son might be in us too. That we would be caught up in this astounding act of love between the Father and the Son. That's a huge thing. God created the universe, created you and me, so that the love between the Father and the Son might be poured out on us as well. That's a stunning thing to be included in. I've been reading a book called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. Here's how he put it in his book. Uh, creation is about the extension of that love 
the love between the Father and the Son outward so that it might be enjoyed by others. The Father so delighted in his Son that his love for him overflowed so that the Son might be the firstborn among many sons. Isn't it beautiful? That was a plan before the beginning of time to include us in the love between the Father and the Son. And at the centre of this plan is the sending of the Son to die. Have you ever wondered why did the Father send the Son to die? Was it because he wasn't willing to go himself? Was it because the Son said, oh, well, someone's got to go, so I'll go? Did they draw straws and Jesus got the long one? No, it wasn't that at all. It was an act of love by the Father to the Son. Doesn't sound like an act of love, does it, sending someone to die? But it is. How could it be an act of love? Well, have a look at this passage, Colossians chapter 1. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It pleased God the Father to put the Son at the centre of their plan to save a people for themselves, to bring glory to the Son in that way. The Son willingly went as an act of love to the Father to bring glory to Him, and the Father sent the Son as an act of love to bring glory to the Son. Who can tell me who Dean Boxall is? Anyone? Who said that? Yes, swimming coach, that's exactly right. I think you will remember him. Here he is at the Olympic Games getting a little bit excited. You might remember that moment. Ariane Titmus winning the 200-metre freestyle. He's an Australian swim coach, and you'll see him again at the Commonwealth Games, already have. Um, he's the coach of Ariane Titmus, the Terminator, as they call her. Two Olympic golds at Tokyo, a silver and a bronze as well. Now, apart from this moment, coaches – yeah, go back again. Apart from this moment, yep. Coaches aren't normally in the limelight, are they? But he certainly was at that point. Normally, their job is to bring glory to their athlete, to their team, as their coach. They, they send their athlete in to the centre of their plans, fulfil the hopes of the athlete and the team, and they, they love seeing their team, the athlete, gain glory from their achievements. And then what's supposed to happen is that the athlete or the team give glory to the coach with the victory. It doesn't always happen, does it? But it certainly did with Ariane. Um, as the father sends the son, it's a little bit like this. It's a, bit, a little bit like the relationship between the coach and the athlete. It's an act of love by the father to send the son into the centre, to allow him to be the one who reveals God in his glory. It's not without pain, but our salvation event in Christ Jesus is something the father, the son and the spirit are working together in, bringing glory one to the other. That's what's happening at the cross. What does it mean for us to be recipients of the Father's love? We thought about the Father's love for the Son. What about us? What does it mean for us to be called to call God Father? How has He loved us? Well, in so so many ways, hasn't He? He made us. He created us. He He gave us the honour of being made in relationship with God in in His image, even. He provides, us, he provides for us daily. We, he, he hears our prayers. But let's go back now to 1 John chapter 4. So go back now. Um, if you've got one of the Bibles from the, uh, from the bookshelves, uh, one, page 1084. Uh, so have a look at that passage. Have a look at verse 9. These passages won't come up on the screen. I want you to have it open in front of you. Have a look at verse 9. God's love was revealed among us in this way. 
God sent his one and only son. And you see the same idea in verse 10. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice. In this passage, the quintessential act of love that John focuses on is the sending of the son by the father. That's the act of love. Not not here the love of the Son for us, but the love of the Father for us in the sending of the Son. Now, obviously, we see the love of the Son as well, but that's not what John is focusing on here. John wants us to see the love of the Father in sending the Son. What does it tell us about the love of the Father for us? Well, so many things. Let's, let's compare it to what we learnt about love from our culture. I briefly mentioned the song by Wet, Wet, Wet in the start as a, of this reflection so far today. Have a look at the lyrics of one of the verses of this song that I think captures the way that our world thinks of love. You know I love you, I always will. My mind's made up by the way that I feel. There's no beginning, there'll be no end. Because on my love you can depend. But I've got to ask Wet, 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 like, How can the person you love be confident in your love for them? How can you actually say that you can depend on my love when my love's dependent on how I feel? Like, feelings change. They're fickle. It doesn't really work, does it? But thanks be to God, the Father, his love for us is not based on how we make him feel. Wouldn't that be terrible if God loved us like that? But he doesn't. In fact, he loves us despite how he feels about us. Have a look again at verse 10. It says, Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That word atoning sacrifice you have in your Bibles? The more literal translation is propitiation. It's a word we don't really use anymore, uh, but it's a helpful word. What it captures, what it means is propitiation is turning aside anger. Jesus' death on the cross turns the fury of God away from us. That's what it does deals with his red-hot anger at our sin that destroy, that threatens to destroy us in judgment. This is a thoroughly biblical idea, that Jesus turns aside the fury of God. It can lead us to think that the Father is the big ogre in the sky who's angry with us, and, and God the Son is the kind one, the forgiving one, who makes things right. But that doesn't make sense of verse 10, does it? That idea. The cross is just as much an act of love of the Father as it is an act of love of the Son. The Father, in love, sent his Son to die as a sacrifice, turning aside the fury of the living God at our sin, the fury of God, Father, Son, and Spirit to our sin. And here we see the heart of what it means that God is love and what love is. God's love is not based on a feeling. His love for us, in fact, is a decision to act for our good despite what we've done, despite the fury that wells up in him because of our sin. That's the love of God. Love's not about how you make me feel. It's a decision to act and speak for the good of the other, to reach out to the other in care. Core uh, core to love is initiative, as God took initiative to love us, to act for the other person for their good, Core to love is to act in a way that welcomes the other in without pretending that the hurt and the pain doesn't matter. Core to love is to long for the other to be honoured and glorified and welcomed. Core to love is to serve the other sacrificially. And this is what God the Father has done in sending his Son. It is an amazing, it is a stunning thing to be called children of the living God, to call God Father, 
The only way that's possible is as he adopts us as his, as his children through the death of God's one and only Son and accepting that offer of salvation. Have a look at this passage in Galatians as it speaks of the wonder of adoption into the family of God. When the time came to completion, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you were no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. You can call God Dad. Isn't that amazing that you can call God Dad? Abba, Father. We who were indifferent to God, who wanted him at best at the edge of our life, our sin made him furious enough to destroy us and judge us forever, but instead, in unfathomable love, he sent his son to die in our place that we would no longer be enemies, in fact, not even just friends, but family, sons. In fact, Romans 8 tells us that in, with Jesus we become heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, his eternal son. The love of the Father for the Son overflows to us and we're included in it. That's stunning that God would do that. Oh, the love of the Father for us. Now, if you're here today and you don't yet trust in Jesus, don't yet appreciate the love of the Father for you, it is so great you're here and hearing what God has to say to you in his word. Why don't you consider the wonder that God would want you to be his child and include you in his family? in a love that he has for his eternal son. We'd love to help you accept this offer of relationship with God. If you want help, all you need to do is ask. We'd love to help you do that. In this series, we're getting to know God, our great Father, our great God, Father, Son and Spirit better. Now, as we get to know God, that's in itself better. That in itself is practical, astoundingly practical. Paul prays again and again for the churches as he writes to them that they would know God better that they would know the height, the depth, the, the width of the love of God, the love of God that surpasses knowledge. And so as we get to know God better, that will change us in profound ways. That will impact on the way that we love others. It will impact on the way that we think about ourselves and our world and others around us and our motivations. Knowing God in itself, knowing God better in itself is intensely practical. But as we know God better here in God's love for us as Father, John wants us to have a, it to have a profound impact on the way that we love other people. From our closest friends and family to the person we meet in line up at Bunnings Sausage Sizzles. So let's have a look again at 1 John 4. John speaks of the love of the Father, not just so that we would appreciate God's love for us, absolutely, in sending his Son, but ultimately in order to change the way that we love others. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. No one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, we are to love one another because God first loved us, totally, absolutely. He loved us so that we would love others. John makes that crystal clear, verse 11, but that's not the point he's making in verses 7 and 8. In verses 7 and 8, we're to love one another because love is core to who God is. It stems from his character, not just the way he's treated us. 
because love is from God, defined by him. We love others because if we belong to God, if we're God's children, adopted into his family, then we need to be like him. And we ought to be like him in loving others. Jesus said the same thing when he was talking with his disciples the night before he died. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We'll be like him. Love as he loves. We need to show that family likeness. Here's a picture of three handsome young men. Well, maybe not so young and, to be honest, maybe not so handsome. Can he, can he guess who they are? Brothers. How do you know they're my brothers? Just a vague idea? They look like me a bit. Yeah, there's that family likeness, isn't there? You can see that there. They're just as ugly as me. Um, but it's not just the way that we look. When I first started having kids, man, it hit me how much I was like my dad in ways that I loved and in ways that I hated, that I wanted to change. There's a family likeness. We've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. We get to call God Father. We get to call Jesus our brother. We need to love because God is love. And when people see the way that we love one another and others, they should be able to see a family resemblance. They should be able to see if they looked at the way that we loved and loved people, and then they consider the love of the Father, they should see a connection. They really should. They should be able to see that we take initiative like God's taken initiative. They should be able to see that our love is not dependent on how people make us feel. They should be able to see that our love forgives as God forgives, serves as God serves, sacrificially, is generous with time and energy and care, that our love is not flaccid love that wants people to like me. Instead, it's a strong love that acts for the good of the other. They should be able to see that. And then the final stunning thing in this passage, 1 John 4, is that John tells us, verse 12, that when we love like he loves, when this family likeness is shown in the way that we treat others around us, our friends, our family, our workmates at uni, at school, on the sporting field, on the sidelines, whatever, as we love people, God's love is made complete in us, it says. That's amazing, really. I mean, what what about God's love was incomplete? And how do we make it complete when we love others? Well, think about the love of the Son, sending the love of the Father, sorry, sending the Son to die in our place. The work of Christ dying on the cross completes the love of the Father in sending his Son. The love of the Father is shown in the work of the Son, as well as the love of the Son. In much the same way, the love of the Father to those around us is completed in our love for one another and our love for everyone around us. As we see this world, as God does, as we forgive people, as we serve people, as we, as, as we love people in different ways, we complete the love of the Father for that person we are loving. As his sons and daughters, we are involved, included in the love of those around us. That's an amazing thing. Doesn't that make you want to love people a bit more? Move you so profoundly. And help you to see it as so, so significant. As we love one another as Jesus, as God loves us, as the Father loves us, by forgiving, by serving, by taking initiative, God's love for that person is made complete in our action. That's amazing. So let that love motivate you, knowing that God's love is made complete in the life of those around you as you love them, as your Father loves you. So whenever you pray to the Father, remember that you pray to the Father who loves you, who's always been Father. 
whose love is eternal, whose love for his Son overflowed to you, and whose love for others is lived out as you, his Son, his daughter, loved those around you with the love that he loved you with in sending his Son. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing thing you've done as you've loved us by sending your Son. Father, that you've given us life and adopted us as your children. Help us never to take that for granted. and Help that to motivate us and change us and help us to show that family likeness in loving those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.